kind of go back over what I was saying. I was saying hopefully wherever you are, you can ex you're experiencing the same presence of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, that we're experiencing here in this room uh, through the through the worship, and um, we are uh, obviously excited to uh, be able to meet with you. Let me just without getting too emotional tell you how much I miss all of you. Um, it's uh, uh, you're all such a important part of, of my life and and one another's lives and, and our fellowship if, if nothing else hopefully this this will you know just further solidify how how precious it is for us to be able to uh, come together and, and assemble together and, and experience the things that uh, that we do when we're all together but praise God until then we know the Holy Spirit is is with us and he's helping us so what I was saying as well is that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to leave on them, and it was going to be to their advantage, and that seemed very hard for them to understand. Uh, they had gotten so used to, to being with him and, and his physical presence, and, and he told them, he said, don't let your heart be troubled over this, but the, the main thing he was emphasizing there is that when he left them, he would be able to send the Holy Spirit to them, and, and because the, the Holy Spirit is on the earth now, uh, where Jesus is going to be at one place, you know, at, at any given time, the Holy Spirit can be right here in this room with me this morning, and He can be right there in your car with you. He can be right there in your home with you, your bedroom, your living room, uh, wherever you may be. So, uh, this, this obviously what Jesus says is true, but uh, this is what He meant, at least one of the ways when He said uh, it is to your advantage. Praise God. Um, this is normally when we would make announcements and receive an offering. Obviously, we're unable to, to do that. Not a whole lot to announce since we can't be together. Um, Governor Ivey, as most of you know, uh, has basically um, extended uh, this um, uh, current isolation-type, quarantine-type situation uh, and at least through April the 17th, uh, which means the next two summers we're going to uh, be uh, enjoying online services going to include Easter, so um, we may not be able to be together physically for Easter, but Easter is still going to be a day of great celebration as we celebrate um, our Lord's resurrection and our resurrection, so please continue to be in prayer for, for just uh, the whole situation, uh, help one another, uh, pray for one another, and um, again, we're experiencing great victory even in the midst of difficult situation that we're all dealing with. Amen. If you uh, have your Bibles this morning, open them with me uh, to Romans, the 8th chapter. Romans chapter 8. Amen. And um, I feel compelled this morning to uh, to kind of help orient you a little bit. Obviously, we're the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a gift of righteousness, our our justification, what it means to be justified just as if I'd never sinned. And, and to simplify that, you know, one of the things we've emphasized is that, that Father's desire for you is to be able to treat you, be able to treat me like our sin never happened. And last week and the week before that, we really emphasized uh, the passage out of Romans 3 where it says Jesus and, and what Jesus did for us, it, it has allowed our Heavenly Father to be both just and at the same time our justifier. Now, in, in light of the, the bigger picture of what the Holy Spirit's been saying to us since the beginning of the year, is that you're blessed. 
And, and what we have learned in the course of our study, that Jesus became a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles. He became a curse for us so that the uh, blessing of Abraham could come upon uh, the Gentiles. And, and so we see that the curse uh, is, is still present on planet Earth, um, but so is the blessing. And as New Testament believers, don't, don't miss this part. This is the part really, again, I want to emphasize to you, is that there is a curse that has to be resisted by faith, and there is a blessing that has to be received by faith. A curse to be resisted and a blessing to be received, or the blessing we, we might be more accurate in saying. So a curse, uh, the curse to be resisted and the blessing to be received, and, there, and the curse is resisted by faith in the, and, and then the blessing is received by faith. All right, now, when Heritage Christian Center first began some 20 plus years ago now, um, the Lord laid it on our hearts uh, to, to name this family of faith uh, Heritage and Heritage Christian Center. A lot of folks just refer to us as Heritage. Amen. And your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. Okay? Your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. And so in those early days, we began to teach people what belonged to them because of who they are in Christ. And it seemed to be sailing over a lot of people's heads. And I went to the Lord about this, and, and the answer was pretty simple. He said, you're trying to tell people what belongs to them because of who they are, and you haven't told them who they are yet. And so there, there has to be a foundation in place, a, a foundation of understanding, but not just understanding it. You've got to believe who you are in Christ. You, you can't just have a head knowledge of it. You've got to believe you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've got to believe you're a saint. You've got to believe that the blood of Jesus has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. You've got to believe you're the body of Christ. Amen. It's not just enough to hear it or to have some working knowledge or understanding of it. But these are things that absolutely positively must be embraced by faith. And what, what that means, to take that one layer on beyond that, is that we believe it's true even if there is no evidence in our physical reality to say that it's true. So, for instance, when we look at be, what it means to be righteous by faith, amen, obviously we believe on Jesus and we believe uh, on what Jesus has done for us and the abundance of grace he's given to us and the gift of righteousness that now belongs to us because of what Jesus did for us. In the Old Testament, it was what you did for yourself. It was, the, it was what you could earn by your own obedience. But in the New Testament, thank God for this new covenant, amen, in the, in the New Testament, it's not what we do, but it's faith in what's been done for us and in what's been freely given to us. Now, again, to get that to the street level of your life, to the cutting edge of where your life is unfolding on a moment-by-moment, on a -moment, day-by-day basis, if the Bible says that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it's up to you to believe that to be true about yourself. Even, listen to me now, this is where a lot of people get confused. Even if there are things that you can see in your own life that says it's not true. Even if there, if there's maybe areas of your behavior that you're still struggling with. And, and if you allow the enemy, he'll point to, to uh, struggles in your behavior. The Bible says we have a sin that easily besets us. Areas of weakness in your flesh. The enemy will point to those things and he'll say, see, 
you're not righteous. See, you're not right before God in the eyes of God. If you were right before God in the eyes of God, you wouldn't do this or you wouldn't do that. And he's, and he's, he's trying to get you to make the classic mistake that's worked since the Garden of Eden. And that is to look uh, to the external things, to look at, at sense realm evidence and, and based upon what you see going on in the world around you, uh, base your beliefs on that, right? So again, what we have to do, faith is a function of the heart and, and the words of God, there's spirit and life. And so if his word says you've been made righteous, the, the more you believe that, the more your mind is renewed to that, the more you see yourself as being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the more that righteousness is, is going to play itself out, work itself out in your life. Again, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Now, let me tell you what most people do. And we're not most people, amen? But let me tell you what most people do. Most people look to their own behavior to determine what they believe to be true about themselves. So they, they look at areas of, of struggle and they say, well, you know, let's say you struggle with drug addiction. And so they look at areas of struggle in their life and, and, and because they've struggled with addiction in the past, um, the world will very quickly put the label addict on you. Well, you're an addict. You're, why am I an addict? I'm an addict because I struggle with addiction. Notice we're, we're lining up with the, what we believe to be true about ourselves with, with the things that we've done in the past. Okay? Well, that's not righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith doesn't say I believe I'm righteous when I see righteousness in my behavior. Remember, faith doesn't believe it's true when it sees it. I'll believe it when I see it. That's not faith. Faith is, I believe it's true in spite of what's going on around me. Remember, Abraham is our example in these things. And, and the Bible says that Abraham believed God had made him something, right? Made him the father of many nations. He believed that God had made him something he could never make himself. And he believed it when there was no evidence in his physical reality to support it. Okay, that's, that is faith. That's the model or, or example of faith, the steps of faith that we're to follow and to understand. Now, why is this so important? Well, again, um, in order to be qualified for fellowship uh, with God and to be blessed by God, you have to be right before God in the eyes of God. You have to be justified before God. You have to have right standing. Amen. And if you don't have the right standing, you don't qualify for fellowship with him or to be blessed by him. Right? So if you've received Jesus, you've been given that right standing as a gift. But if you still see yourself as something other than right before God in the eyes of God, it's going to be very easy for you to align your thoughts, words, and actions, not with the blessing that's yours, but with the curse that's still, uh, you know, very prevalent, rampant. If we've seen anything from coronavirus, it's, we've seen living proof that the curse uh, is still alive and well on planet Earth. But again... We resist that curse by faith. We resist that curse by believing that we're blessed, and we're blessed because we're justified. We're blessed because we're righteous, not because we've earned it, not because we deserved it. Amen? It's not, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but, but the key thing we're going to be emphasizing over these next couple of weeks is that we're blessed not because of our doing, but we're blessed because of our being. We're not blessed because of something we've done, we're blessed because of who we are, who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so this is this is very good news. But but I want to go back to the you know faith is such. In other words, 
trying to think the right way to say this, right? Um, it, it rises and falls by faith. Um, either you believe you are or you believe you're not. Let's, let's go back to, um, and, and let me try to show you this, uh, the loop that so many people get caught up in, right? Your behavior, your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, okay? Your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true about yourself isn't true. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Mark? Well, when you were born again, you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you don't see yourself, you don't believe that to be true about you, and instead look at your behavior to determine what you believe to be true about yourself, right? Notice what's going to happen. Because your behavior lines up with what you believe to be true about yourself, and you're constantly looking to your behavior for evidence to support what you believe to be true about yourself, you get caught in this loop. And, and, and the cycle never ends. The vicious cycle never ends. So you see how faith is the victory that overcomes or breaks this cycle. Faith in who God says you are. Faith in what he's done for you. Faith in what his word says about you becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. About you being born of the incorruptible seed of God's word. About all things becoming new. And, 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 and as we begin to see ourselves the way Father God sees us. And that's what we look to for evidence to support what we believe to be true about ourselves. Now notice, our behavior lines up with what we believe to be true about ourselves. So we begin to believe that we're righteous. Our behavior will line up with the righteousness that we became the day we were born again. Okay? Now, we've got some multiple layers going on here, but I'm, I'm wanting you to see ultimately how all this translates into, um, let, let's go back to it. If, if, if you are more aware of the sinner that you were than the righteousness you've become, if you're more aware, we call that sin consciousness. If, if you are more conscious of your sin than you are aware or conscious of your righteousness, then you're going to be more conscious and aware of the curse than you are conscious and aware of the blessing. In other words, sin goes hand in hand with the curse. Righteousness goes hand in hand with the blessing. So we've been made righteous, but if we still think of ourselves, speak of ourselves, see ourselves as sinners, we are primed mentally to expect the curse. But if we, as the word teaches us, are more aware of and, and have confidence in and faith in what Jesus has done for us, the righteousness that we became uh, in him, the gift of righteousness that we've been given, the more aware we are of that and the more faith and confidence we have in that reality, the more we see ourselves in that light. Notice now, this translates into us having more confidence in the blessing, more awareness of the blessing, more faith in the blessing that is upon our life. This invisible force from heaven upon a man or woman's life to protect, to provide, to promote, and to prosper. Okay, now, I know you think I forgot it, but I haven't. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. Let's begin there. Romans 8 29. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, I'm not going to turn back to the passage. We've been there the last few weeks. But in Romans 3, and obviously Romans 3 comes before Romans 8. So Romans 3 is laying groundwork and foundational truth that uh, Romans 8 rests upon. It's, it's built upon uh, these things. In other words, uh, as you go through the book of Romans, uh, it has a beginning point, and then truth is, is, is layered in, line upon line, line upon line. And, it, and it, it's built its way now to where we are in Romans the 8th chapter. So in Romans uh, 3 and 23 and 24, it says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, comma, being justified freely by faith. Okay, So he's saying that both the Jew and the Gentile alike are all in the same boat where this is concerned. We've all become guilty before God. The law that God gave to us through Moses has brought the whole world guilty before God. Where there's none righteous, no, not one, uh, is what the Bible says about those trying to be make themselves right with God uh, through obeying the law. Okay? So, when it says we fell short of the glory of God, comma, being justified freely, he's saying that our sin caused us to fall short of something that Father's gift of justification has now qualified us for. Uh, sin disqualified us, but now the gift of righteousness has qualified us. Specifically, or we could say specifically, maybe would be better stated, generally, generally, it qualifies you for fellowship with God and to be blessed uh, by Him. Right? Now, to fall short of the glory of God means to fall short of what God intended. Um, it means that, that you know, God had something in mind for us that our sin caused us to come short of. Uh, and this was not acceptable to our Father. You know, so many times, I've said this before, but so many times we look at all of this only in light of how it benefits us, and we never see the bigger picture of how Jesus' completed work on the cross benefited his Father. Because of what Jesus has done for us, it didn't just solve our sin problem. It solved Father's problem of how to be a just God and still treat you and me like our sin never happened. So Jesus became the final payment for all of our sin. And when I say all of our sin, I don't mean just like all of our sin up until the point that we ask Jesus in our heart. Hebrews, we won't probably get there today, but Hebrews says Jesus was one sacrifice for all sin for all time. Okay, So Jesus became the final answer for my sin in its totality, for your sin in its totality. This is how he is able to permanently justify you. He has permanently justified you, which now means he has permanently qualified you for fellowship with the Father and to be blessed by the Father. Right now, this leads us into, I think, you know, answering an important question. If we fell short of what God intended, Father God intended for us, and Jesus has justified us so that we can now not fall short but rise up to that uh, purpose, that intention of Father God, 
what, what were his purposes? What was his intention for you and me? What is it that he meant for us to be to him? Amen. What, what aspirations, dreams, desires did he have for us? Well, again, we find it right here in Romans 8 and 29. Whom he foreknew. The Bible says he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, before Adam ever lived on planet Earth, Father God had already predetermined for you to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. What does this mean? It, it doesn't just mean, uh, you know, that we have the outward shape of Jesus, but that we be like Jesus in every way to our heavenly father. That we be to God the Father as Jesus is to God the Father. Now I know, especially some of you, if you you know really, you know, stuck in religious tradition, you you're probably getting ready to you know go back to uh, surfing the internet or something and, and tune this out. But please, 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 I'm reading the. I didn't write this. This is what the Word of God says. Right? He predestined you that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. So that Jesus, he, might be the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn among many brethren. He's no longer the only begotten son of God. Jesus is now the firstborn among many brethren. Hebrews um, tells us, again, don't just stay right here in Romans 8. Hebrews tells us that the captain of our salvation is Jesus. And the captain of our salvation has not just led many sons to salvation... It doesn't say has led many sons to forgiveness, but the captain of our salvation has led many sons to glory, has led many sons to glory. Now, again, most people read this and they think, well, glory is another word for heaven and people die and they go to glory land. They go to heaven. No, no, no. The captain of our salvation has led many sons to be exactly what Father God intended for them to be before he ever created a single one of us. The captain of our salvation, Jesus himself. Now, Jesus was, again, first known as the only begotten Son of God. He is no longer the only begotten. He's now the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, just as if I'd never sinned, these he also glorified. Again, has shown esteem and honor to by placing you into that honorable position that he always intended for you to occupy. Now, let's, we're going to read a few more verses here in Romans 8. Before we do that, I want to um, present a couple of words to you, okay? And we've mentioned these words before, um, but the two words are these. Are you ready? Sonship, S-O-N-S-H-I-P, sonship and standing. Sonship and standing, okay? So we are not just children of God in the sense that God created us. If you've been born again, the Bible says Jesus came to his own people, his own people did not receive him, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the right, the power, the privilege to become sons of God who were born. So if you've been born again, it's not just a figurative experience. It's a literal experience. Okay? Let me just quick 
commercial for Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, uh, we, we're doing worship, and then the message is focused on our discipleship curriculum. And in the discipleship curriculum right now, we're, we're breaking down what it means to be born again. That's coming Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. If you can't tune in live, please watch it uh, you know, by recording. It'll be archived on the website and Facebook and so forth and so on. Um, but again, we see that we were born. It's not figurative. It's literal. You literally were born a second time of a different seed. And the seed that gives birth to a thing determines the nature of that thing. And because we were born of the seed of Christ, we have become a partaker of his divine nature. I'll show you all this in scripture on Wednesday evening, right? So we have been born of God. This means that we are not just children of God. In other words, some people, and, and I have, I've corrected myself. Um, uh, one time uh, there was, you know, some folks that kind of started out teasing, uh, you know, about a group of them were Alabama fans, another group was Auburn fans, and and it kind of started out teasing one another, and, and it, and it kind of got uh, a little ugly, you know, and it, as it sometimes has a tendency to do here in the state of Alabama. And, uh, and I was trying to be a peacemaker. And I said, hey, you know, guys, let's just set all that aside. We're all the children of God. And, um, and as I was trying to find something that, that we all had in common that we could all agree on that was more important than what football team we cheer for. Well, I thought it did, when I said that, you know, it didn't, I got that little check in my spirit, you know, and, and so I was talking to the Lord about it later. I said, you know, Lord, I, what was up with that? I, you know, and, and he began to show me that in one sense, because God created us all, um, you know, we are his children. But that's not the same as somebody who's been born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. And so, you know, in a, in a broad, uh, very uh, general sense, you know, God created, you know, every human being. Um, but the Bible's very clear that when we were born physically from our parents, we were born of the corrupted seed of Adam. And Jesus said, you must be born a second time. And so, again, without trying to teach Wednesday night's uh, lesson this morning, the reality of our sonship is, we're not just children of God because God created us, but we belong to him, um, yes, because of creation. We belong to him because Jesus bought and paid for us, but we also are his because we've been born of his spirit. We've been born from above. We've been born of his seed. So you are, in that respect, a child of God. So that's the sonship piece of this. The, the next part of this, though, is to understand your standing understand your standing. It's not just that you're a son, but that you are a son of God, a child of God, in right standing with him. Okay? So it's one thing to have been birthed to a set of parents. It's another thing to have right standing with those parents. And I pray that everybody listening to me right now uh, has that kind of right standing with your parents. But it's very possible. It happens all the time. Where someone, you know, may be the offspring of a, of, a, of a mother and a father, but, but for whatever reason, there's, there's separation, there's division, there's a rift, strife, what have you, uh, that has prevented that individual from being in right standing. So when it comes to what Jesus has done for us, 
He has not just made you a child of God. He's made you a child of God in permanent right standing with God. And we see that that permanent right standing that we have is the same standing that Jesus has with God the Father. Okay? So again, we've already talked about faith. Let me just remind you. Um, you know, you, your mind may be saying there's no way, this can't be, this is too much. Again, you have to understand this by faith. What does that mean? The Word of God says it. And if the Word of God says it, then we embrace it and we believe it. All right? So again, we're, we're children of God. We're children of God. But I know I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm going to show it to you in Romans 8 where it says you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Okay? This means that, that you are as to God the Father like Jesus and that you are a co-heir with him. This means you have the same standing. Whose righteousness, whose right standing were you given as a gift? You were given Jesus' right standing as a gift. So because you were given Jesus' right standing as a gift, you have the same right standing with God the Father as Jesus has with him this morning. Amen. And because you were born of his seed, amen, he was the firstborn among many brethren. And he's our captain as our elder brother. But our elder brother, amen, he is not insecure. In other words, he, he's not like, well, they're not going to get in on what I'm getting. No, no, he wants you to be to the Father what he is to the Father. This is a gift that Jesus gave his Father. He did all of this to fulfill the desire in the heart of Father God for each one of us to be able to be to God the Father who and what Jesus is to him. So you have the same sonship as Jesus, and you have the same standing as Jesus. Man. I, listen, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, these are things that I have to spend a lot of time myself meditating on, going on and on, because the enemy never wants you to believe that. He never wants you to think that way. All right, now, praise God. So, do you see then how the sonship and the standing translate into fellowship and blessing. Sonship and standing translates into fellowship and blessing. Now, I'm going to read a few more verses here. I want you to listen, though. I want you to listen, tune your ear into uh, fellowship and blessing, sonship and standing. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, I want to um, close out our time together this morning. I want to read those last verses to you uh, from the Passion Translation. Verse 31 from the Passion Translation. So what does all this mean? So what we see in the New King James, what then shall we say to these things? 
The Passion Translation breaks that down into the question, what does all this mean? So you say, well, Pastor Mark, that's, that sounds like the Passion Translation really took, you know, you know was kind of free-handed with that, you know, interpretation or, or, or paraphrase or what have you. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I like the way the Passion Translation presents this because remember what a question is designed to do. A question is designed to get you to stop and think. In other words, when you're reading in the scriptures, and for instance, in the Gospels, and when Jesus asked a question, who do you say that I am? Right? Well, amen. That's meant for you to stop for a moment and answer for yourself. But before you just throw out some answer, you, you need to ponder it in your heart. You need to come to terms with it in your heart. You see, this is what I've learned in my life, and I pray that you're learning it in yours. When I begin to take these questions and, 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 and ponder them in my heart, this is when the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he begins to speak to me. He begins to, to help me. Remember, he's the great convincer of men's hearts. This is when the Holy Spirit comes alongside and the Holy Spirit is, 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 is trying to help me come to terms with something not in my meat computer, but in my heart, uh, the, the, the truth of these things becoming established deep inside of me, right? So when the Passion Translation says, what does all this mean? Right? He's, he's saying that, look, this is all true. It's the word of God. You have been justified. You have been glorified. Father wants you to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus would not be the only begotten but firstborn among many brethren. He's saying in light of this now, think about what this means. Think about an understanding of this and a revelation of this in your heart, how this will translate into a different uh, approach to life and living. All right, let, let, me, let me just break it down, all right? Facing tomorrow morning, believing you're just an old sinner saved by grace, right, as religion tries to sell us. Facing tomorrow morning as, as an addict because you've struggled with addiction in the past. Facing tomorrow morning because, you know, you, you uh, uh, never had many breaks in life, or this or that, right? There's a, if you're looking at all of those things, and, and that's the lens through which you're, you're dealing with uh, the day ahead versus waking up realizing I've been called by God. I've been chosen by him. I've been transformed. I have been born into his family. I, I have the same standing with him as Jesus. I, I, have been, I have received an inheritance from him, the same inheritance Jesus has received from him. Right? In other words, he's saying, what does all this mean? I like the New King James Version takes that same phrase. What then shall we say to these things? Right? So again, on the surface, it seems like these are two very different ways of translating this question. But when the New King James Version has it, what shall we say to these things? It's taking it one step further. Not just what does it mean, but how are we going to respond? Right? What are you going to do with this? What, are, you, are you just going to think it's, it's talking about somebody else? Or are you going to take the faith that you've been given by your Heavenly Father and, and, and use that faith with all the strength you can muster to lay hold on this? To begin to say of these things that these things are true about me. Right? So what does all this mean? 
and how are you going to respond? Okay? Now, I personally believe, obviously, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is not just the erstwhile musings or ramblings of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, but he was inspired, breathed upon by the Holy Spirit to write these things. But I would, I would imagine it works the same way or worked the same way with the Apostle Paul as it works with, with you and me. We get quiet in the presence of God. Remember, uh, the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos because he found himself in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, right? So the Holy Spirit's there with him and begins to show him these things, and he writes them down as the Holy Spirit shows him. So I believe as, you know, the Holy Spirit was revealing these things to the Apostle Paul, and he's writing these things, you know, I have to believe that he looks at this and thinks, you know, if the last things I wrote got me put in prison, this might get me killed, right? I mean, this is, this is like some really, if you think these are, are amazing things, difficult to, to comprehend uh, in our day and age, imagine what it was like in Paul's time writing these things, okay? But again, the Holy Spirit gave him this revelation. And so I almost see him like putting his pen down for a moment and, and beginning to think like, man, what does this mean? You know, what should be our response to this? And then the Holy Spirit kicking right in with the answer. Picks his pen back up, and he starts to write. Okay, so again, from the Passion Translation, so what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us. Let, let me just, I love that translation right there. If God has determined to stand with us. Again, the New King James Version, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? But the way the Passion Translation presents this, and I think it's, again, a very practical way for you and me to begin to consider these things, what we're going to say to these things, right? God has determined to stand with you, right? He could have given up on you and me a long time ago. He could have given up on the entire human race a long time ago. But he determined. Remember what he predetermined? He predetermined that you would be conformed into the image of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, Father determined that you would be to him as Jesus. And that determination has not waned. He, every morning his verse is renewed, right? So he's saying, look, just, just come to terms with it. God has determined within himself to stand with you. And if he's determined to stand with you, who then could ever stand against you, right? See, we've got to stop looking at what's against us and start considering who is for us, who is with us, amen? If God is with us, amen, then there is nothing on this earth or anything that this earth has to offer, anything from Satan or anything that would come from the curse on this planet that is bigger than our God. If God is determined to stand with us, Tell me who then could ever stand against us. For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Look, I'm going to read a few more verses from the Passion and we're going to pray. But let me just please right now stop for a moment. Would you do yourself and your Heavenly Father a favor and spend some time in these 
verses later today, this week. Really, you know, letting these things feed your faith and feed your spirit, right? Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. His final verdict over you. His final verdict is not guilty. Not guilty. And remember, he is both the judge, a just judge, and behind your justification. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. Now let's talk about this for a moment, right? If there was ever anyone qualified to condemn you, it would be Jesus. Because he came to this earth as a man and he lived a sinless life. Literally took from every one of us any excuse we would have before our Heavenly Father one day to say, it's not fair, God, nobody was ever able to live a sinless life. But Jesus came and lived a sinless life as a man, which gives him the unique uh, position of being able to condemn you. But he's not going to get, condemn you because, what, he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he continually is praying for our triumph? Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Wow. I like that. They're impotent. They're impotent. They have no power to even hinder all powerful love. Well, I pray that you're getting something out of this this morning. Let me, let me pray for us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Lord, that you are with us. You have determined within yourself to stand with us. Father, even, even when we've decided we're not going to stand for you or stand with you, you've determined to stand with us. And Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that the more we understand your determination to stand with us, the more determined we become to stand with you. Father, I pray that the truth of these things that we talked about this morning would settle deep within our hearts. Father, that the fruit of these things would be produced and produced quickly in our lives. Father, that we would understand our standing with you and our sonship, that we, your children in right standing, the same uh, to you as Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us and freely given to us. So, Father, what shall we say? What, what does this mean? How should these truths shape our lives? How should these truths shape how we look at viruses and, and um, uh, a downturn in, the, downturn in the economy, things of this nature, Father? Lord, we know that, that we are blessed. And Father, my, my prayer for this family of faith is that we would prosper in spite of the coronavirus, Father. That's what the blessing does. 
it causes us to prosper when, when uh, others are not prospering, Father, when others are struggling. And so we thank you for it, Lord. Our faith and confidence is in that, and we trust you. So, Lord, thank you for the week ahead. Lord, thank you for giving us wisdom. Thank you, Father, for helping us grow. Thank you, Father, for uh, the different things that you're enabling us to accomplish, Lord, during this uh, uh, time of transition. And we look confidently with excitement ahead to the day that we'll all be back together again. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. We love, we love you. Be blessed. Have a great week. Feel free to reach out to us if you need anything. And um, know that you're loved.